Well, we have made it to our final part of our Proverbs series called A Little Bit of Wisdom. Say wisdom. We've journeyed throughout the entire month of July with this series, and I hope you guys have enjoyed it. Um, it's a, a bit of a different series where we've done a bit more teaching around it. In week one, uh, Frosty jumped in with that message, looking at the advice from a father being passed down to a son in the first nine chapters of the book. And then in the last two weeks, we both unpacked some key principles that can be found in Proverbs. And there's many, but we could only <laughs> tackle a couple. But I thought it would be fitting for the final part of this series to actually go to the final chapter of this book, where a mother is actually passing on some wisdom to her son. And since this is the last time that I'm preaching before I give birth to my own son, I thought it would be fitting to share a message based on Proverbs 31 called Mama Knows Best. All right? So Mama Knows Best. If you're taking notes, you can write that down. The notes are also in our Elam app. But for the last three years, we have called this church plant our church baby because in every way it was a baby to us. You know, we started out with just four small groups in the beginning, but meeting in four different homes, and that was so incredible. But it was our... It, and it still is our church baby. And we pour our heart and soul into this place, and we will continue to, even as I'm on maternity leave. And we might not have changed any nappies in the last three years, but trust me, we have cleaned these toilets. And when we first moved into this building after it was abandoned for seven years, I deserve some gold stars for cleaning those toilets. Uh, <laughs> we may not have had crying babies waking us up in the middle of the night over the last three years, but we have had sleepless nights over matters of ministry. And even as, you know, parents will celebrate milestones for their children from infant to becoming a toddler, we've got to celebrate so many cool milestones as a church because we're still, in a way, a church baby, but we're becoming a toddler that is off and running. With four small groups, it turned into a launch team where we gathered in the youth room, uh, and there was no air con, but... We became so close in those launch team days. It was amazing. And then we became an official church in March of 2019. And now we are continuing to grow and become this beacon of hope in the community. And I hope that we will always be on this journey of becoming, becoming more and more like Jesus. Last week, Frosty talked about this concept of honor and what honor means when you add worth, weight, value to something or someone. Well, worth is the level at which someone or something deserves to be valued or rated. But I wanted to look into this more specifically, especially as we dive into Proverbs 31, because worth in the old English language meant significant, valuable, appreciated, highly thought of, honorable, noble, fit, and capable. But also, many believe it's derived from worthen or verthen in Old German, however that's pronounced, which means to turn into or to become. Now, I love this because in one sense, kind of as a noun, it represents the value or the price paid for something. But when you look at it as a verb, when you look at it in its origin, it's to turn into, to come to be, to become. And as a soon-to-be mom, I want my son to become someone who is worthy. I want him to become someone who is virtuous, honest, significant, highly thought of, reliable, respected, capable, and noble. But I want that for us as a church too. As the mama of this house, I want that for us as a church so that we can become a church who is worthy. So are you guys ready to dive into this final chapter of Proverbs? It's going to be on the screen with me as well, but you can go there in your app. But Proverbs 31 
it's titled by saying, Sayings of King Lemuel. And in verse 1, it tells us that this is what his mother taught him. Now, you might be thinking, who's King Lemuel? I haven't heard of him. Well, many scholars believe that King Lemuel was a pen name for King Solomon. You know how some authors actually write under a different name. Many believe this is actually King Solomon. And if it is, and if this is wisdom from his mother, then this is wisdom from Bathsheba. And in verse 2, she exclaims, Listen, my son. Listen, son of my womb. Listen, my son, the answer to my prayers. She sounds urgent in this as she passes on this advice to her son. And did Solomon listen? Like, if this is actually Solomon, did he listen? Well, maybe as a child. Maybe when he first started out as king, you know, when he first asked for wisdom, that was a real good start. But then Solomon got very distracted by a number of things, including women. And instead of finding a wife of noble character, which we're about to read about, he found 700 wives. Um which I don't even know how you keep track of that many wives, but he completely missed the point. He wasn't supposed to find 700 and add all the qualities together and say they're women of noble character. No, no, no. His mama was like, you could find all of these qualities in one woman. You could find all of these qualities in one person if that person is on, has been on this journey of becoming like Jesus. Now, verses 10 to 31, they were originally written as an acrostic poem. And this means that each verse was beginning with a consecutive letter of the Hebrew alphabet. But obviously, when that's translated into English, you no longer see that. But many believe because it was written as an acrostic Hebrew poem, the poet was trying to illustrate that the perfections of this woman would exhaust the entire language. This poem is about the perfect bride or a virtuous woman, someone who had high moral standards. But also many believe that this describes the victorious bride of Christ, which is the church. So as we dive into this poem today, I want you to understand this is not simply how a virtuous woman should live, okay, men? This is how the church should live. So we're all a part of that. This is how the church should live. This is who the church should become. The Hebrew word used to describe her is kyle, which translates to excellent, full of substance, integrity, abilities, strength, and mighty like an army. And church, I believe that we are on a journey of becoming mighty like an army. In many ways, I still feel like we're just getting started. We are just scratching the surface of what God wants to do in us and through us. And so even though Solomon might not have heeded his mother's advice in this, my prayer is that you would listen to this wisdom, that it's included in the book of Proverbs for a reason. And I'm not simply echoing the words of Bathsheba saying today, listen, my son, the answer to my prayers, but I'm saying, listen, my church because you too are an answer to my prayers. And I want us as a church to become a church who is worthy. Proverbs 31 calls her the wife of noble character. Now there's so much that we can unpack in the depth and the richness of this old poem. But for the sake of time, I'm gonna pull out 10 verses and that's gonna highlight to us 10 key things that I hope you as an individual can become. Because if you go on a, a growth path as an individual, then we grow collectively as a church family. That, so you gotta focus on your own growth and then together we grow. So we're gonna look at verses 11 through 20 today, but I encourage you to go read the whole chapter at home. Verse 11 says her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. He has full confidence in her. 
The first thing I hope that we as a church can become is become someone others can place their confidence in. Her husband doesn't doubt her. In fact, he trusts her completely, and he's not ashamed to call her his bride. But are you a person that others can place their confidence in? Are you somebody that others can rely on? When, when you give your word to somebody, can they trust that word or does it mean anything to them? Now we're gonna ask some hard questions today because we're all on this journey of becoming. And so I want us to ask some of these hard questions. But if we aren't a family of believers that God can place his confidence in, then we're doing something wrong. Someone of noble character is someone that others can rely on that someone that others can trust. And I hope that one day people can place their confidence in our son, that they can trust his word when he gives his word. But I want that for us too. As the mother of this house, I hope that God looks down on Elam Papakura and says, I've got confidence in those people. I hope God looks at us and says, I've got confidence that if I send a lost soul into that room, that they're going to be welcomed and be taught the gospel. I hope that God has confidence in us as a church family. Verse 12 says, she brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. Become someone who brings good to others. You know, a person of noble character recognizes they have a choice in life. They could either bring good into their relationships and their friendships, or they could bring harm. But a person of noble character always chooses to bring what is good. What do you bring into your relationships, your friendships? Do you bring good or do you bring trouble? Do you lift the atmosphere of a room or do you bring it down? Let's become a church that brings this community good. Let's be a church that when the Auckland Council finds out we're involved or social workers or schools find out we're involved, they're excited to work with us because they know what we bring is good. Let's be individuals that when we move into a neighborhood and somebody finds out, oh, they just got a new neighbor and they're from Elam, they're excited because they know that Elam person is about to lift the atmosphere in that street. Let's become known for the good that we bring all the days of our lives. Verse 13, she says, she selects wool and flax and works with eager hands. Become someone who finds a way to contribute. Become someone who finds a way to contribute. This Proverbs 31 woman, she works with eager hands. She ain't lazy, y'all. In fact, she knows that she is able to contribute in some way. When she sees a need, she doesn't just think, oh, somebody else will take care of it, but she jumps in with eager hands, ready to find a solution. Now hear me as the mama of this house when I say this. If you are a member of this family, but you're not yet contributing to this family, I really think you're missing out on a part of your becoming. Because that's part of what God wants you to do as a member of a church family. You know, when I give birth to my son, I will nurse and feed him for a season of time. He will depend on me entirely for his nourishment. But the time will come when I teach that boy how to pick up a spoon and carry it to his own mouth. A time will come when he will have to learn how to feed himself. And a time will come when he's gonna recognize he's hungry and he's gonna say, mama, will you make me a sandwich? And I'll say, boy, make your own sandwich. You ain't a child no more. Like that time will come. <laughs> but here's what I'm trying to say. I believe that you can become someone who eagerly contributes to this church family and not expect others to keep feeding you. You can contribute in a number of ways through your time, your resources, your gifts, your finances, your ideas, your prayers, your worship, your revelation, and your hard work. 
become someone who finds a way to contribute because just filling a seat here every few weeks is not going to earn you some participation award, okay? Like the world loves those these days. And they hand them out to anybody and everybody just for being present and not even participating. But let's not get started on that. Become someone who finds a way to contribute to this family, this community, this city, this nation, this world, because all of us, we've all got something to give. Verse 14 says, she is like the merchant ships bringing her food from afar. Become someone who actively brings people to Jesus. Here's what I mean. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 45 and 46, there's this parable that says, heaven's kingdom realm is also like a jewel merchant in search of rare pearls. When he discovered one very precious and exquisite pearl, he immediately gave up all he had in exchange for it. This jewel merchant is an image of God the Father who was willing to give up his one and only son in exchange for the pearl, which is the church or the believers. And this Proverbs 31 woman is willing to be the hands and the feet of this merchant. She's the merchant ship that the merchant sails in search for pearls. She's willing to sail near and far, bringing lost souls to Jesus. Now, I said we're going to ask some of the hard questions today, so I want you to let this one sink in. But when God, the jewel merchant, tries to sail you into a situation where you can invite somebody to church, do you extend the invitation? Or do you hold back? Because maybe he intentionally sent you to that park at a very specific time to meet a very specific person. Or maybe he set you next to that man on the bus or that man on the plane because that man was ready to know God. Or maybe he put you in that study group for a reason because he knew that you could spark up some conversation about him and share the gospel with people. Are you missing your moments where God is sailing you into a situation and he's saying, would you introduce this person to me? Would you tell them about me? I want us to be a church that never misses the moment of invitation. Because I pray that my son will become somebody who actively brings people to Jesus, even from a young age. I want to see him bringing his friends into power zone and bringing people to come to know Jesus, bringing his friends into oxygen, bringing his friends from all walks of life. And I want that for each and every single one of you. I want you to have the same boldness and the courage as a merchant ship who sails into unknown territory in search of pearls. Verse 15 says she gets up while it is still night. She provides food for her family and portions for her female servants. Become someone who values every single day. This Proverbs 31 woman, she makes the most of her day. She is not one to sleep the day away or to spend an entire week binging Netflix. She doesn't want to waste a single day of her life. Church, are we valuing every single day that God has given us? Are we valuing every single Sunday that God has given us to gather as a family believers in one room and to lift our voices and worship together because every day matters. Every Sunday matters. And I know it can be really easy to slip into a habit of saying, I'll just do it tomorrow. I can't be bothered today. Oh, I'll just go to church next week because it's too cold outside. Or I'll just serve the next time I'm rostered on. They don't really need me. Look, none of us are guaranteed another day. That's the truth. None of us are guaranteed another day. So we should treat each day with the same weight that we would treat our last. And I hope that you could adopt this perspective of gratitude every single day when you open your eyes in the morning 
And you could just start your day by saying, thank you, God, for another day. And then make that day count. Make it count, y'all. Value every single day. Verse 16 says, she considers a field and buys it. Out of her earnings, she plants a vineyard. Look at this woman go. Become someone who invests your resources wisely. This woman is smart and she's strategic. She knows how to produce fruit in her life so that it could flow on and be a blessing to others. She considers a field and buys it. And then she goes on and plants a vineyard. I love this. Are you looking at your resources and considering where it is that you invest them so that they could produce more? Have you considered where you invest your money, your time, your energy, your gifts? You know, if you've heard the parable of the talents, there was three servants that were given different exchange, different sums of money. And there was a, a period of time where the master was gone before he came back to ask them what they had done with the talents, the money that he had given them. Two of the servants had actually put it to work and multiplied it. They had doubled what they were given, even though it was different amounts. But then one servant just buried it and hid it away for safekeeping because he was afraid that he might lose it. The two servants who actually doubled what they had, they were praised. But the servant who just hid it under the ground out of fear, he was scolded. Do not bury what God has given you. Don't bury it because God has given you that blessing for a reason. He wants you to produce fruit in your life and in the lives of those around you. Verse 17 says, she sets about her work vigorously. Her arms are strong for her tasks. Become someone who values the training as much as the game. Value the training as much as the game. Remember that Hebrew word, Kyle? It means mighty like an army. Well, she knows that in order to win the battles in her life, she's got to be fit for the task. And it says her arms are strong for the task, which suggests that she's actually gone on this journey of developing strength and endurance over time so that she's prepared for the daily fight. It doesn't say her arms are being made strong in the task. No, they are strong for the task. Why? Because she's put in the effort in private to have the strength in public. Value the training as much as the game. Here's what I mean. Some people will say, oh, I'll put in the effort once I get the job. Or I'll start studying for the exam once I know the date of the exam. Or I'll go along to the marriage course once my marriage reaches a breaking point. Or I'll go to the Valiant Man course once somebody finds out about my porn addiction and it affects my relationship. Or I'll learn the worship song when they roster me on the band for that week. Look, y'all, we got to value the training as much as the game. It is the work that you do in private that prepares you for your public life. When we set about our personal work vigorously, and God sees it all, my friend, it trains and prepares us and strengthens us for the battles that we will inevitably face publicly. Verse 18, it says, she sees that her trading is profitable and her lamp does not go out at night. Become someone who is in constant communication with God. When you look at the symbolism in this poem, there's so much of it. And many believe this lamp to represent her prayer life, which means that she is in constant communication with God. She doesn't want her lamp to go out because she knows that her light is actually leading other people to Jesus. Is the lamp of your prayer life burning bright? When people look at you, do they see a glimpse of Jesus within you? You know, I've said many times that when our cafe lights are on and it's dark at night and you're driving down the street 
this place looks like a lighthouse on a hill because this is the tallest building in Papakura. And when these lights are streaming out of those windows, because those are the only windows we got, but when they're streaming out that side, it looks like this lighthouse that is shining on a hill leading people to Jesus. But of course, to be good stewards of our resources, we turn off the lights when we go home. But here's the good thing. Church is not a building. It's the people which means that your light should not go out when you go home, which means that we've got hundreds of lights that are going out into the community. And I hope that our lights are actually drawing people into the warmth of who God is. I hope that your light is burning so bright that it illuminates the lives of those that you interact with. And this is why I'm so excited for the month of August because we're diving into a message series called Outpouring where we're gonna explore the power of the Holy Spirit. And next Sunday night, we're having a 5 p.m. service for the first time ever, where we're gonna do a revival night. And this Thursday night, we're having a mega prayer night. Frosty will tell you about it more. But why are we doing this? Because we wanna be a church who burns bright, a church who is in constant communication with God. Verse 19, in her hand, she holds the distaff and grasps the spindle with her fingers. I'll explain that in a moment, but Keys can come join me now. Become someone who helps to guide the conversations about culture. Scholars believe that distaff, a weaver's staff that holds unspun fibers, is taken from the root word for prosperity, which means she uses her own wealth and success to bless the people around her. And then the word translated as spindle could also mean governmental circuits or wheels, which means that she has this understanding of what's happening in the world around her. Now here's what makes this verse so cool. It's to use your own prosperity combined with your knowledge of current culture means you can become somebody of influence, somebody who helps to guide the conversations. And one thing I've been praying over our son is that he would speak when others are afraid to. That he would sit at tables that intimidate others. That when he would walk into rooms, he would have the power and the wisdom of the Holy Spirit guiding his tongue. I believe that one day our son will help to guide some conversations around culture and people will listen when he speaks. But I believe that we can become a church who starts that now. Who helps to guide the conversations about culture instead of culture guiding us. We need to be a family of believers who hold the distaff and the spindle with confidence and speak with the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. Let's become the ones who guide culture instead of culture guiding us. Final verse, verse 20. She opens her arms to the poor and she extends her hands to the needy. Church, could we become someone who sees everyone? This Proverbs 31 woman, she embraces people from all walks of life. And that means the church should have open arms and open hands that say to everybody, Jesus loves you. And we do too. So how could we help? That should be our posture as a church because this Proverbs 31 woman, she interacts with people from all levels of society. And she does so with dignity and integrity. She is well respected by city officials and engages with business owners. We've seen that. But she is also admired by her family and cares for the community. She engages and sees everyone, every level of society, every nationality, every age of understanding. Can we be a church that sees everyone? That anybody that God puts in our path, we see them and we love them and we get to know them so that they can get to know God.
This was a mother's advice to her son. And I pray that my son will become someone of noble character. But you need to know God is calling that out of each and every single one of you. He wants you to be a person of noble character. He wants us to be a church of noble character, a church like what's described in this ancient Hebrew poem, a church that is known for its godly character rather than its worldly charm. In fact, one of the most famous verses in Proverbs is talking about how this woman is not admired for her charm or her beauty, but rather for her fear of the Lord. Could we be a church that lives in this constant wonder, awe, fear, respect of who God is? Because when God sent his one and only son to this world to pay the price for our sin, in that moment, he made us worthy. It was his sacrifice that allowed us to become people of true worth, people of significance, people of dignity, people of strength and people of valor. I love that word valor, it means great courage, especially in the face of danger, especially in battle. And aren't we in a battle with the world right now? I pray that we would be a church of valor. And daily, I pray that we would remember our true worth, that we would remember to accept and embrace this free gift of salvation that God has given us, but it starts with us choosing a life that honors God over a life that pleases the world. And if we were to do that, we would stay on this journey of becoming. So church, as I close today, and as I prepare to step off this stage for the next six months or so while I focus on raising my son. I was just wondering as the mom of this house, could I pray for y'all? Would you stand to your feet? I just wanna pray over us as a family in this next season because we're on a beautiful journey of becoming and we've still got so much room to grow and I can't wait to see what God is gonna do in the next season. If you know the person standing next to you, why don't you grab their hand? Put your arm around them and just close your eyes with me as I pray. Well, God, we stand before you today as the bride of Christ, the church that we know you're coming back for one day. And until that day, Lord, would you help us on this journey of becoming, help us to become a church that you deem to be worthy, a church of noble character. May we become a church that you can place your confidence in. May we become a church that is known for the good things we bring. May we become a church that finds ways to contribute. May we become a church that actively brings people to Jesus. May we become a church that values every single day you give us. May we become a church that invests our resources wisely. May we become a church that values the training as much as the game. May we become a church that is in constant communication with you. May we become a church that helps to guide the conversations about culture. May we become a church that sees everyone. Lord, help us to become all that you created us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.